Good morning, everybody. I'm wrapping up our series, The First and the Best. Over the last four weeks, we've been looking at how do we respond to God's grace in a way that honors and pleases him. If you look at the image on the screen, this is basically the structure of this four-part message series. At the bottom, you'll see God's amazing grace. And we talked about that the first week. And we thought about all the ways that God has been good to us and merciful to us and gracious and patient and how he's provided and cared. And as your mind and heart is ignited out of gratitude for the grace and love of God, it fills you, fills you up with love and gratitude and you you overflow. You want to respond back to God. This is the third part of the pyramid with how can I please and serve God? And then that question, how can I please and serve God, is answered biblically by giving God the first and the best, of course. And so you say, well, first and best in what? To which the Lord says through the scriptures, through his son, the first and best of what is most precious to you. The first and best of your money, your time, and in your relationships with people. This is the structure. The idea when we give our money, our resources, the first and best to the Lord. We're not doing it begrudgingly. It's not generosity. It's the way that we as God's people who have entered into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, it's the way that we respond to his love and grace. And it's the way that we participate in this shared life. He is our God. We are his people. And so we honor him with the first and the best as symbolic of all the rest in our money. And last week we saw that we honor him with our time. If God himself has become your father, if the Lord Jesus Christ is your elder brother, he's the king sitting on the throne, but he is your elder brother and he loves you and he wants to spend time with you, then the way that we worship God and show his worthiness is when we wake up in the morning, the first and best part of our day goes to the Lord, not to our phones, not to our focuses and our problems, but rather we get time alone just to be with the Lord, to thank him, to confess our sins to him, to lay our days before him and ask him to show us if there's anything he would change, to hear him speak to us through his word so that we can begin to think and see more and more like he thinks and sees, so that he can speak and encourage and direct and correct us during the day. This is what servants do before their Lord. They spend the day the beginning of the day, in his presence. And it's fellowship. It's sweet. And we give him the first part of our week. That's, sun, that's Sunday. Sunday's the first day of the week, and so we dedicate the first day of the week to him. You see how this is all very religious, but good religious. It's He is our Lord, and so we give him the first and best. Of course. And it's not like we have to do it. We do it because we're grateful. For what? Look at the bottom of the pyramid. God's amazing grace. And today I'm going to wrap up by talking about how we can love God most by putting his people first. When we think about the humiliation and grace of God that he's poured, uh, the humiliation of Christ and the grace of God in that, um, it makes us think, you know, I don't deserve this kind of love from God. We think about Jesus Christ before he became a man, before he condescended, what we call the incarnation. It wasn't like Christ didn't exist and all of a sudden, poof, he appeared. He is the eternal son, the second person of the Trinity. He is God um, Almighty. And he, for all of eternity, 
is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he's crowned, and he's a ruler, and he's worshipped by angels. When we see him in the New Testament, we see him oppressed, a servant, mocked by those he was saving. Why would he do that? As we read the scriptures, we see that the Lord Jesus, before his condescension, before his rescue mission, he was joyful in the presence of his Father. Imagine being always happy, like down to your bones happy. Just a full sense of joy and peace and just happiness all the way down. That is the continued state, the always always condition of the Lord Jesus before he joined us in our misery. But in the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, we see God condescending, Christ becoming a man and being sorrowful, full of sorrow, lonely, and on the cross, he cries out, Why have you forsaken me, Father? Never eternity past, had there been any break between God the Father and God the Son. But here on the cross, because of all of my sin and guilt, the punishment that I deserved was poured out upon Christ. My sin was placed on him. It was wrapped around him. And his father could not look upon such wickedness. Christ is the one who led the Israelites out of the wilderness. He's holy. He's a light. He's a fire. He's pure. But in the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, we see him stained and wrapped in sin. Wrapped in shame as they beat him and lay the wood upon his back as he's whipped and scourged and they mock him as they blindfold him and say, Who prophesied? Shame, blood, and sin. Wrapped around the holy, pure God of fire and light. These are horrible things that we see Christ enduring. And they're even more amazing when you think about who he is. And all this stuff that he went through, voluntarily, he did it for you. He measures his love by his death. I give you everything. That's how much. How much I love you. How much you're worth to me. That's what God is saying to you. He loves you. And he has given his life for you. And he's given his life for me. And this is the ground of all Christian obedience. This is the thing that drives us to respond to God. How can I please you? And what's funny is when you ask God this question, you say, you know, are you, are you hungry? No. God's not hungry. Are you thirsty? You know, you want something to drink? No. No, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm the eternal God. <laughs> Are you cold? You need a blanket? No. Well, then how do I serve you? How do I, how do I, what do I do? How do I, you know, I want to, I want to love you back. How do I do it? That's the question at the heart of this message. And the Lord says, you know, if you want to do something for me, if you really want to love me back, here's what you can do. Love my kids. I want you to love my children. You see, I love my kids. I've given everything for them too. That's how much I love them and you. So if you want to love me back, if you want to give back to me, then love and give to them. This is how you give God first and best in your relationships. When we put another first and we give one another our best, this is a pleasing sacrifice 
Think like Old Testament sacrifice. This is a pleasing sacrifice to God. Now, there are some crucial passages for you to understand. And if you're not a Christian, then you will come to know one of the chief ways that we worship and serve our great God, Jesus Christ. And if you are interested in investigating Christianity, but you have not yet decided to put your faith and confidence in the hands of Jesus, to become his disciple, to follow and obey him, to trust him over any other man's voice, if you've not yet decided that you're going to confess your sin rather than try to hide it or justify it, you've not yet decided that you're not good enough to come to a presence of a holy God, that you're not pure and righteous all the way down to the bottom, and that a pure and righteous God who requires pure and righteous people to be pure and righteous, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And so when you stand before him on the day of judgment, when you die and you you face God, and he holds up your life and he says, you have violated my law, you've violated my commands to you, will you hold up your righteousness? Will you say, well, I did this and I did my best? And, and well, if you're there, then you have not yet decided to believe what God has said about you. And what God has said about you is that you, in your sin, have no hope. You're lost because a just God will punish sin. But because God loves you, he has provided a substitute in your place so that you don't have to die. Christ died. So that you don't have to suffer God's wrath for your sin. Christ suffered God's wrath. And when you become a Christian, if you believe this, then you believe what God said about you, that that should have been you on the cross for your sin. And you say, I agree. That's right. It should have been me. He says, but I instead have sacrificed my son. He voluntarily gave his life for you so that you might be washed of your sins. So that when you stand before me and Satan or your heart or the culture says, but they're so bad and you don't know what they've done. You can proudly and uh, gratefully say, you're right. I did deserve that, but that was paid on the cross of Christ. My sin deserved that, but it was paid 2,000 years ago. So I have been washed. There is no more guilt. There's nothing to keep me from coming home to my father. And if you're listening to this and you're not yet a Christian, that means you have not yet believed what I just said. Either it doesn't make sense or you're just not convinced that that's you I'm talking about, that God's word's talking about, or you're not convinced that that's how your sin is atoned for. That's how the, the, the distance between you and God is removed. But when you become a Christian, When God saves you, when he pulls the blinders back so that you understand it, you see it, and you want it, and you say, God, yes, I want that. I I want forgiveness. I want you to be my father. I, I want to follow you. When God turns the lights on, so to speak, and he saves you and brings you in, one of the things that grows inside of you is this desire to please him. And so you start looking around the Bible for directions, and these are two crucial passages. So as I go through these passages, for those of you who are Christians, This will be helpful, and for those of you who are not, you'll better understand what it means to be a Christian who responds to God's grace and love. So the first crucial crucial passage when it comes to giving God the first and best in relationships is Philippians 2, 3 through 4. And it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. So don't push yourself to the front. Try to be the front guy, the first guy, the best guy. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, right? Thinking of yourself amazing. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How do I put, how do I give God the best? By putting his kids first. 
That's what this is saying. You think of your brothers and sisters in Christ as more important, more significant, more worthy of attention, time, and energy than yourself. You don't look only to your own interests, right? Making sure you're paying your bills and making sure you're taking care of your business and making sure that you're all right, but you're also looking out for the interest of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And why would you do that? Because Jesus did that for us. He went first. He said, I want you to love these people to death, right? Like literally he loved us to the point of death. So you could say he loved us to death. I want you to love these people no matter what it costs you. And I'm going to show you how now. And so he carries his cross up to Calvary. He dies. He is buried. But then he is raised again. Because the Father says, this is the one who is to rule this world. He is my chosen Savior. Put your faith in him. Learn from him. Follow him. And he will help you become like him. And so as Christians, we want to look out for one another's interests. Just like Christ did for us. The second passage is Romans 12.10. It says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdoing one another in showing honor. That means I'm paying attention to you. I'm interested in you. I'm curious about you. I'm giving you my attention. And why? Because I'm trying to outdo you in showing honor. I'm not pushing to the front so that I can be honored. I'm pushing to the front so that you can be honored. I'm not only thinking about my concerns. I'm texting and calling and asking you about your concerns. I want you to be honored. That's putting you first, right? And that's how we love God best. You see, God is triune. He's too one to be many. He's too many to be one. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Father. And the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father and the Son. But God is one. He is unified. He is God One in three persons. We call this the blessed trinity. And what that means is that God is a sweet society of love. Within himself, he has love. He was just some solitary atom floating in the universe from eternity past with no one else in the universe to talk to. He couldn't love, could he? Because it'd just be him. Sure, he could create people, but he'd have to create them to love. He, He needs us. But see, God didn't need to create us. He wasn't lonely. He has fellowship in himself. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. We know because Jesus told us. And the Spirit glorifies the Son, and the Father glorifies the Son. And the Spirit loves the Father, and the Father loves the Son and the Spirit. And God is within himself this sweet society of love. He's always outdoing and pouring out himself for the other persons of the Trinity. So the Father's glorifying Jesus, and Jesus is glorifying his Father on earth. And the Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus Christ. You see it in the Scriptures. And the reason why I'm explaining this to you crudely is because that's how we are to treat each other. In the same way that the Father is pouring out and glorifying the Son, and the Son is pouring out and glorifying the Father, and the Spirit is pouring out and glorifying the Son, we're supposed to do that with each other. See, because we're a part of the family now. And so God doesn't need our food. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our blankets. He doesn't need our attention. He doesn't need them. Need But he wants, he wants us, he wants us to love him back freely. And he has taught us what true love is. And it matters to him how we treat his kids. 
And so through the Bible, you see this interesting kind of teaching that you should pay attention to that we're going to focus on right now. So it makes sense to you, biblically. The Lord identifies with his people. We are his brothers and sisters. And he takes our service to one another as as service and love towards him. So there's this parable Jesus tells about this king and these servants come to him and he says, you know, you, you, when I didn't have any food, you fed me. And when you, when I didn't have any clothes, you clothed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me a cup of water. And they're like, how do we do that? And the king replies, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You and I are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. He's the firstborn in the family of God. He's the first born from the dead. He is truly a man. It's not like a a ghost. He is all man, all God. And he is the first man to be resurrected from the dead to eternal life. He's the firstborn of the new creation, so to speak. He's our elder brother, the first son in the household of God. Get it? So we are his brothers and sisters. And he's telling this parable, and he's saying this king is rewarding his servants because they refreshed him and blessed him And they didn't do those things. He had never needed water, and he had never needed clothing, and he had never needed food. But he says, when you did these things, when you poured yourself out and put the interest of my brothers and sisters first, that was you loving me. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. When I love you as a brother and sister in Christ here at Church in the Valley, because those are the people that God has put in my life, I'm loving Jesus. When you love me, when you ask me how I'm doing, when you call, when you serve, when you look out in many different ways for my interest, you are looking out for the Lord's interests. Why? He has so chosen to identify with us. I didn't decide this was how the Lord was going to arrange it. He, he decided that's what I want to do. When you love them, you love me. No daylight between them and me. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying here. Now, President Obama loved to use, and, and most, most uh, more socialistic economic people, and there's Republicans who are socialistic, but Obama was into the socialistic economics, and he loved to talk about this Bible verse. Whatever you do for the least of these, you're done for me. That's not what it says. It says, whatever you have done for the least of these, my brothers and sisters. The church is not supposed to take all the resources that God has given it to steward and pour it out into the world amongst all the poor. We are to love and serve the poor. But what you would do if you misrepresented this passage is you basically say to the church, your job is to provide food and shelter and water to the whole wide world. Forget the gospel. But it says brothers and sisters. And so I am supposed to zoom in and give particular attention, not to everybody in the world, but to my brothers and sisters here at Church in the Valley. Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 13, 35, a new command. I give you. I heard a man say, that must have made them stand up straight. A new command? You know, it had been how many thousands of years since Moses' 613 laws? A new command? What's that going to be? Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. And so here you are. If you are a Christian, 
if you have come to a honest and humble uh, admitting of your sin, yeah, I am a sinner. Truly, I have tried to be my own God, my own boss, and I want to be right with God. And I believe that Jesus is the sacrifice in my place. He's my substitute, that his death was my death, that his burial was my burial, and that now there's nothing separating me from the love of God. No sin that's going to cause me to run away from God because I'm afraid of his punishment. No, no, no. Now it's just a father's love receiving me home. I believe it. I believe it. And I want the Lord Jesus. And you walk with the Lord. and He sets you free and he gives you his grace and he does all the things that he does in your life. And you feel inside this desire to respond. I want to love you back. Give him the first and best. And you are giving God the best when you put his people first. When you love them and serve them. You see how that works in the scriptures? That's why we're talking about that. That's what matters to him. Jesus is talking to Peter, and in this this particular part of the Bible, Peter had recently denied Christ three times. He had run away. He was afraid of being killed. Christ was arrested. Christ was beaten. He was whipped. He was shredded. He was frog-marched up a hill to Calvary bearing his cross. He was nailed to that cross. He hung on that cross, and he died several hours later. And Peter wasn't there for that time. And he denied Christ Three times the night before. Do you know him? I don't know him. Do you know him? I don't know him. Do you know him? I don't know him. And it broke Peter's heart. But the Lord knew it was going to happen. It was part of his plan for Peter to grow. And when Christ was raised from the dead on the third day, when God raised him up to vindicate, oh no, this is my boy. This is the savior of the world. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not Gandhi. It's not Einstein or any other man, this is the only man that I've risen from the dead to never die again. Everything he said is true. You want proof? Boom. Resurrection. That's what the Bible says. The resurrection is evidence that God has placed his hand and said, this is my guy. And Peter, so excited to see his Lord, but feeling guilty about it, is brought, you know, a a little private conversation with Jesus. And Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do Do you love me? Because, you know, he denied Jesus three times. And so in this conversation, Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, well, yeah. (laughs) When they had fished and eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. You love me? Yeah, I love you. You're grateful? Yeah, I'm grateful. You're so full of gratitude. Yes, I am, Lord. You know I love you. And feed my sheep. Well, how about I just, you know, maybe we just hang out more. No, no, no. That's great. We'll hang out more. But feed my sheep. Do you love the Lord, Jesus Christ? Are you grateful for his grace? Great. How can you love your brothers and sisters at Church in the Valley today, tomorrow, this week, and this year more? This is fitting worship to God. It's a get-to, not a have-to. Because as we love people and we get to know people and we pour out for people, there's all sorts of blessings involved in that. But we get to be a part of the family business. We get to do what Jesus did. We get to be full of the Spirit of God. We get to be like Jesus, play the part of Jesus. We get to imitate Jesus. It's it's great. God will do good things in you when you do that. It's a get-to, not a have-to. I love him. He's the coolest. He's the smartest. He's my hero. And I want to be just like him. And he sacrificed and died for us. So I sacrifice and feed the sheep 
for him. Now, in this case, feeding the sheep means be a pastor, be an apostle, like start the church. So obviously, unless you're called to be a pastor, it's not a one-to-one. But let's be real. Jesus is saying, these people, take care of them, love them. That's loving me. And that's applicable for all of us who follow Christ. Okay. Here's another way he identifies. He we identifies with this as his body. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We're, we're all one body. And so Jesus identifies with me the way that Matt Sprinkle identifies with his pinky. That's how close we are. We're just one big old body. And so I'm supposed to relate to you in a way like a body would. I'm supposed to be honest with you. And one of the ways that you put God first is by giving your brothers and sisters your best. Not lying to them, not hiding, not trying to be like the good spiritual person. I mean, we have a highly committed group here at Church in the Valley. And if you're new to Church in the Valley, you may feel like, wow, these people are like really intense and they're very spiritual. And if they knew the truth about me, no, no, no. I am the chief of sinners. If God was to measure my sin according to his law, I could not stand. I thank God for his mercy and forgiveness every day. I got sin in my life that I've been dealing with since I became a Christian and longer before. We are all saved by grace. And you don't have to pretend. You don't have to come here and pour out all the most deepest, darkest secrets of your life. Because that's not discretion. But there is a knowing you, a real you, and you can be you. Because you're not accepted because of your righteousness. You're accepted because of your faith in Jesus. And I'm accepted because of my faith in Jesus. That's what binds us together. And so I can be honest and real about my struggles. I don't have to hide because I'm going to get... Slap. That's not going to happen. That doesn't happen here at Church of God. That's, that's not Pastor Randy, for sure. Pastor Randy is about the most gracious man I've ever met. Patient and kind. And I'm sure that's because he's so grateful to God for his grace to him. That's not me. That's not probably not you. So you can be honest. You can be real. You can be who you are. But that's a risk, I know. That could cost me. I know. That feels like a sacrifice. Yep. That's love for me and for you and for your brothers and sisters here. And you do it out of gratitude to the Lord. Also, in terms of identifying with his people, like how does Jesus see like our relating to each other, meaning loving him? We are his bride. You can read Ephesians 5.25. I'm not going to read it for time, but think about how much a husband loves his wife, right? And you're like, oh, no, I love you, Bob. I love you. I love you, Bob. You're my favorite guy. And it's like, yeah, but you were just disrespecting my wife. You neglected my wife. You didn't help my wife. You know, how we relate to someone's wife says a lot about how we're relating to him. So it's if we're the bride of Christ, if Christ died for this whole nation of people, which is you and me who trust in Christ, and we are like a bride to him, right? He died for us. Well, how should we treat one another? How should you treat a man's wife? So this is a close identification. And then the most strong passage is in uh, 1 John 4.20. You see here that God measures our love for him by our love for each other. It's like very explicit. Listen to this. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. And that's a verb. That's a lay down your life, ask questions, get to know, slow down. You before me. You love your brothers and sisters at Church in the Valley. This is loving God. 
And that means we prioritize the people at Church in the Valley. And you see this in Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now he's saying, look, Christians, you live in you know the Galatian region. You should be doing good for everybody because God is good to you. God pours out the rain on the, the just and the unjust alike. God gives bread to people who hate him because he's a gracious father. You're his son. You're his daughter. So now you should be gracious no matter what. But there is a special blessing, a special concern and attention you should give to the household of God. I have a dad, and his name is Mike, and he's in his older years. And imagine that I said that I, you know, I was just, I was serving everybody here at Church in the Valley, and I was serving people in my neighborhood, but my dad had no one to take care of him. And you found that out. That would be wrong, right? Because he's my family. He's part of my household, my blood. I should be caring for him and the other things. And so, in the New Testament, it is assumed that you're going to be a part of a local church because they were so rare. You know, it's dangerous to be a Christian. And so if you're a member here at Church in the Valley, if you've entered into a covenant with the other people at Church in the Valley to make this your church for the next year, that you're going to abide by the hard attitudes, that you're going to participate, that you're going to be here in this mutual life, right? Then you give a special attention, a special atten- attention and care to those who belong to the family of believers, which is Church in the Valley. It doesn't mean you don't love people at OC or um, Stone Arbor Church or you have friends at another church or, you know, your parents are Christians, but they live across the country. You don't care for them. That's not what, it, not, that's not what I'm saying. But you've got to partner with people. There's got to be some people that you can count on and who can count on you. And that's what you do at a local church. That's what membership is. It's a shared mutual life that you're joining in with people for the specified period of time. In our case, our membership is annual. So for this year, I'm here. I'm all in. I'm going to be your brother and sister and care for you. You're going to care for me. That's the idea. Okay. And so, like many churches in America, we've seen a lot of movement in our congregation. Uh, Who we were two years ago in terms of who attended Church in the Valley has changed. There's roughly a third of the congregation that's brand new to you. If you're newer to Church in the Valley, then everybody's new. But if you've been around Church in the Valley for five years or so, about a third of our group is new. That's fantastic. We're we're glad. We're so it's so wonderful. But what that means is is that we have a real opportunity right now, a season of opportunity to practice this uh, with with you know if I'm if I known you for 20 years, like you know we've been knowing each other forever, then I know you and you know me. And but when you don't know people, when you guys are just getting to know each other, there's all these opportunities to get to know and care and interest and practice what we're talking about today, putting others first. So how do you do it? Here's a couple things you can do. All the things I said before is God loves you. He died for you. You love him. You want to respond. Give him first and best in your relationships. How do I do that? You put his people first. Who? The people here at Church in the Valley. Not only people at Church in the Valley, but the people here at Church in the Valley. Why? Because the Lord identifies with his people. Because how you treat them is how you're treating him. Why? That's that's what he wants. And that's that's how we do it. So then the question is very specifically, so how do I do it? Like what would I do here at Church in the Valley to um, worship the Lord in this way? Number one, be curious and attentive. Notice how Jesus in John 13, on the night that he was betrayed, with the weight of his torture and his murder on his mind, he was so present and still perceptive and humble to the needs of the disciples. At the time when Jesus had the Last Supper, normally there'd be a slave or someone who was at the bottom of the social ladder to wash the feet of all the men 
who sat around the table. This was customary, but there was no one to do it. And only Jesus noticed that. You know, you think he'd be racked with fear and anxiety, and the only thing he could think about, and the only thing he could talk about was his torture. I mean, would you, would you fault him for that? No. But what does Jesus do? Like, hours before he's going to be murdered, he's paying attention to what's going on in the room, and he notices there's a need, so he gets the water bucket, and he washes everybody's feet. So attentive. Attention. So be curious, like Jesus. How are you doing? What do you need? Tell me about you. This is how we speak when we worship Jesus. When you come to worship on Sundays, when you go to community group, when you're around people here at Church in the Valley, especially if you're new, ask questions, get interested. We've all been in a situation where we go into a social environment and you're talking to a person, you're asking them questions about themselves, but they never reciprocate. They never ask you a single question back because they're not interested in you. (laughs) That's why. But we don't have the luxury or the privilege to be that one. It's not really privilege. We shouldn't do that because that's not how the Lord is with us. Right? And so the way that you practice this stuff for reals is you say, how are you? What do you need? Tell me about you. Here's some more questions. They're in your handout. What do you think? What do you want to do? Or what are your interests? How can I help you? Tell me more about your goals. Now, these are clunkety and wooden statements, but you get the flavor, right? I mean, we want to, like, care about each other. And we gather on the Lord's Day. When you show up here, you're on a mission. Your mission is to get to know more people because as you get to know them, you're going to get to know what they need. And then you get to play Jesus. You get to lay your life down and do little deeds of goodness to them, to love and build them up. And as you do them, you do them with your eyes up to the Lord. I love you, Lord. That's why I'm serving this person here. And it's a, I love this person too. This is great. I love this person. This is great. That's how this community, this church, that's how it's supposed to work. And honestly, we, we do this a lot. I'm grateful for the way that we serve each other. But this is a practical step. Let's let's start talking to each other and get interested in one another if you're not already. And, and here's the thing. If you're watching this and you're like a teenager or a middle school student, right, the younger you are, the more you should just memorize the questions I have on the handout. Just memorize them and use those. And then as you get older, you get a little more skilled. You can kind of ask the questions in a more nuanced way. But you're, you're interested because you're outdoing them and showing honor. And you're not concerned with your own goals and interests, but also the interests of others, Right? Number two, here's what you could do. Respond with honor and love. When somebody tells you good news, rejoice with them. When someone's mourning, mourn with them. Pray for those who have needs. Comfort those who are discouraged. Uphold the weak. Serve people. Give to people. Share your stuff with people. Lay down your life in a thousand little ways, all imitating Jesus' big way on the cross. So you are interested And you're excited when people have good news to share. You honor them. You tell other people about the good that they've done. This is how you honor the Lord. And number three, hospitality. Offer hospitality without grumbling. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's it. That's what it says. Now, in 1 Peter, they're all persecuted. And they're trying to build a church and fight against Rome. And how did they do that? They had people over. They have people over because what's happening in our culture is everybody's being broken apart into little bit of, little bitty BBs. Everything's being atomized. Remember the old sci-fi movies where they had the atomizing guns, which go and all the molecules would fall apart. You just broke into these little bitty atoms. Your family's a molecule. A church is a molecular structure of all these overlapping relationships. Societies are molecular in their structure. 
But what our culture is doing is it's atomizing and breaking everybody off into their own little individual world with their individual screen, doing their individual thing, right? And that makes you easy to control. When you're a little bit individual, individual person, I can easily push you around. But it's hard to pull around molecular structures. They have a rigidity to them. They have a resistance to outside forces. The molecular structure of interconnected relationships is what allows us to resist tyranny in our society. So yeah, having people over, that's definitely a way to resist Rome. And when we have people over into our homes and we make a meal for them or we just have dessert or we have coffee, when we open our homes, this is an act of risk because it's like, man, they're going to see my house and it's a little bit more personal and what time are they going to leave, right? It's more of a cost. But it also accelerates relationship and the kind of mutual love and brotherly and sisterly affection that we want to be common here. So... Practice hospitality. Some of you are very good at this, and this is like a thing you love to do. Others, it's harder to do. And maybe you can't practice right now. It's a season of life where you don't have any space. So then invite somebody out for coffee after church or lunch after church. or You know, just make a date to hang out during second service and come to first service. The point is, is that you're trying to build this network of relationships. You're coming to CIV to build and give. And as you do, the Lord will fill you up, take good care of you. So these are three ways that you can practically do it. Now, as I wrap up, remember the blessing and the promises of God. One, when you love God's people most, right? When you put them first, this builds loyalty that runs deep. Loyalty. You want loyalty? Loyal friends? This is what it says in Proverbs. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a ride or die all the way to the end kind of friend. And that's who Jesus is. And when you're his follower and you grow to be like him, that's who you become. And you have an opportunity to practice that here at this church. And so as you love this way and as you prioritize these things and as you take some steps like the things I suggested, you're going to build a loyal crew here at CIV. And things are getting dark and hard. And you're going to need loyal people who have your back and whose back you have. And that's one of the blessed promises of this kind of love. Of, of worshiping the Lord in this way by putting his people first. Number two, a family. We are given a spiritual family. You may not have a husband or kids, but you can have spiritual children. The Lord is your husband and you can be fruitful for him and helping people come to Christ and helping people bear fruit in their life, right? You have a family that's even bigger than your biological family. The older you get, the more precious that is. And then finally, camaraderie. The word camaraderie means that we have this shared love and spirit towards a common mission. And the core of it is comrade, which has been twisted by, you know, the Marxists in the last century. But the comrade is a brother or sister in arms. We are on a mission for Jesus Christ. When he ascended, before he went back to his throne, where he began his coronation and rule over heaven and earth, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I run everything now. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go get those nations. Spread out around this globe. Christianize this planet. Who can stop you? I rose from the dead. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to immerse them in this Trinitarian reality of my love. Bring them into the kingdom. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very, very, very end of the age. And so we have this confidence that we're going to 
win. That the gospel is going to work. That as we love and walk with God in faith, it's going to bear fruit. That the kingdom can't be stopped. That the church is going to grow. That the same God who saved you can save anybody. We have this confidence as Christians. Despite the bad news in the short term or the good news in the long term, who's going to beat Jesus? Who can stop the king? That's the person we love and serve. And when you look to your right and you look to your left, and you've got brothers and sisters who have that same attitude. They want to build. They want to move forward. They want to take more and more of the nation for Christ in like a good way, not some weird way, but like tell people about Christ so he changes their hearts and he changes everything else in their life. Man, that's camaraderie. You want that? Come and get it. We have that in spades here at Church in the Valley. Praise God for it. It's part of our life-changing community. That's a benefit. But you will never experience this if you're not a brother or sister that is committed to other brothers and sisters. And so we have to be committed to each other. We have to come into fellowship with one another. We have to be mutual in our life. And the way we do that is we put each other first. We give each other our attention and ask good questions. We practice hospitality. We outdo each other in showing honor. And as we do that, these good things grow. Think about the grace of God in your life. As I wrap up here, think about the grace of God in your life. Do you want to love him back? Do you want to please him? Do you want to walk with him in faith? Then give him the first and best of the three most important things in your life. Give him the first and best, symbolic of the rest. When he gives you produce in your hands, as he brings good things through your hands, don't eat up all that he gives, but honor him as your God by giving him the first and the best, the tithe, the tenth. Right off the top, you are the one who gave me all this. You can bless my 90. You can give me what I, you give me everything I have. You're the gracious God. I honor you with my wealth. Boom. That is worship. Number two, spend time with the Lord at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of the week, because he's the most important person in your life. So when you get up, it's you and him. When you get the week going on Sunday, it's you and him. Prioritize our worship. Don't, don't miss church on Sunday. You know, sometimes you're sick, providentially hindered. There's nothing you can do. But don't miss church for trivial things. We are coming before the King of Kings each Sunday as a congregation, with congregations all over the world. It says that the previous people who believed in Christ, who died, they're alive and they're there worshiping. So we're kind of going to go into this huge worship concert in heaven, in faith. We go up together. And we, we go up there and we sing and we bring our offerings and our praise and the Holy Spirit's encouraging us and the Lord speaks to us through the word. He makes us more prepared to live our lives for him and our kids are growing. And this is how you worship the Lord. The first and best of your time, the first and best of your money, and the first and best in your relationships. How can I help you? Tell me about you. What can I do for you? You know, I'm going to call this person and get some time with them. How can we love them? How can we serve them? Do those three things. This is fitting This is fitting worship for the King of Kings. Will you do these things? I know it's a risk. I know it's scary. You think, how can I make it happen? But but trust me, you cannot give God. There's nothing you give up that God can't replace with something better. So give him everything. Give him everything. And what it turns out that he wants, he wants everything, but he only asks you to really, in reality, give the first and the best as symbolic of the rest. Whatever God has been putting on your heart over the last four weeks to do, do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time and the opportunity. We pray you apply these things to our hearts and help us to do them in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.